I'm Brett Boone from the Brett Boone Podcast. Every week we look at the state of Major League Baseball, which teams are exceeding expectations, which ones are struggling to meet them. Follow and listen to the Brett Boone Podcast on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, the the weather is the topic today for sure, Laura. On Instagram, you can see uh, me out talking to people. I like put my old reporter guy good hat on. It's kind of fun talking to people about this weather, whether you're allowed to feel good about it or whether there's a little bit of guilt. It's just kind of, yeah, it's a conundrum because it feels amazing. Yes. But you also know something is terribly wrong. It feels wrong, yeah. Mm-hmm. And obviously uh, El Nino we knew was coming. And so a warmer winter is not. Unexpected. We yeah. expected that, but we I don't think we expected 50s. Yeah, it got up to 54 today. I hope it's like crazy. we don't get, and one of my friends, uh, Brian, who owns Ames Farm, they do uh, honeybees, mm-hmm. and they have apples out there too. And Brian uh, commented on the Instagram video at the WCCO Radio Instagram account that you know, his concern is if the uh, apple trees bud early, oh yeah, then the crop will probably be wiped out. Ugh, yes. So farmers certainly have concerns uh, up north, and that was in your news, concerns for sure. Yeah. You know, if you're an ice fishing resort. But like most of us are not farmers and are not ice fishing. And it's kind of nice to be able to walk to your car without freezing your nuts off. It's you know? a relief. Yeah. I agree. I think I think I think everyone's with us. I think everyone's in favor of it. You love you love uh, the arts and theater and dance. And I was saddened uh, to read today that uh, the Coles Center, which was is the uh, really known for dance. Yeah. But there are other performing arts. But it opened in 2011 in downtown Minneapolis, a beautiful venue. They're uh, shutting it down. I know. It's very sad. I remember when they moved that building. Yes. You remember that? Yes. I don't remember what year that was, but that was a big happening in downtown when they actually moved the building to that location. From Block E. It was ni- yeah. February in 1999. Yep, yep. But uh, Sage and John Coles, uh, his family, the Coles family, C-O-W-L-E-S, used to own the Star Tribune. That's right. So that's sort of where the philanthropy came from. And, you know, they opened in... 2011, and it, it's hard to not, you know, in a, a post-COVID environment where we're trying to figure out what is the future for mm-hmm. theater, for some of these small companies, right. for some of these, like, what is, is this specific to dance, or is this, you know, specific to this company, or yeah. are there wider reasons to be concerned? Right, right. I don't know, but I, I guess it's good that, you know, they, they and part of their issue is they rely on donations, right? That's got to be such a tough business to be in, yes. Oh. I know. I don't can't you think about that? Imagine. Like the theater that we love, uh, tickets don't usually pay for what it really costs to do it. Oh, no. Mm-mm. So you need other donations, corporate sponsors, oh, et cetera. Yeah. There are pages and pages in the back of, you know, the little the program or the um, playbill that you would get at a performance that shows all of the donors, the companies, the individuals, the foundations that support these arts organizations. It's so needed. It is an interesting thing in the fact, and it's the good and bad of the fact that most of our nonprofit sector is supported through corporate and foundation donations. But over the last 20 years or so, we've heard more and more that companies are sort of lasering in on uh, 
you know, focus areas that are important to them. Yeah. So maybe it's literacy or maybe it's early childhood or maybe it's hunger. Sure. And often arts is left out. I know. And I get it. Like if you're a food company, you want to fight hunger. It makes sense. Um, there was a time that there was sort of a, a municipal pride, I think, a community pride. And the companies would pony up. Mm-hmm. Because they wanted to support where they were. Right. And that still happens. I'm not saying it's not happening, but it's just different. It is different. And everything's different after the pandemic, yeah. I think. We're still figuring out so much, even, you know, the way we work. Do we work in our house? Are we going to start coming back into our offices more often? Yeah. The way we play, the way we go to restaurants and spend money on sporting events and like everything has changed. Mm. Yeah, and I don't know, like, you go back and forth between sort of lamenting it or or should we just, like, accept it? It is changing. People aren't coming back to work at the same level. Corporations are going to be more targeted in their donations. Everyone wants metrics and results. And I know. Sometimes you're like, could somebody just write a check so the people could do the dancing? I know. I know. <laughs> I know. Right? Yes. I mean, it's easy for me but to say it. Um, this story cracked me up. From California, you know, cannabis is legalized here in Minnesota, and we're going to have these uh, dispensaries opening up all over the state probably next year. In California, the number one uh, strain of marijuana is named after Joe Montana. (laughs) I like that. Uh, Well, sort of. Uh, Joe Montana has funded. He's a venture capitalist, because why not? Okay, so he, this is his doing? His company. Oh, oh okay, well. But it, so his venture capital firm invested in a startup called uh, Nabis, like cannab- mm. cannabis. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, have sell, they sell hundreds of millions of dollars. 22% of all weeds sold in California comes through. Uh, Nabis? <laughs> Nabis. <laughs> what if they named a Minnesota strain the Derusha. Well, <laughs> you would love that. Of course, naturally. But then I would like what I would be the dumbest person to name a strain of marijuana after because like I've never smoked. I know. I've never, but you it would, would still be funny. I would of course, of course I would. <laughs> so I don't know if they do this, right? Like I I assume like the marijuana strains have like name funny names or interesting names or whatever. When you go to the dispensary, they have different things you can buy. I know there's one called birthday cake. Okay, right. Mm-hmm. So, so who would we name? Who would we name the Minnesota themed? Mm-hmm. Like, what would those names be? Right. If you have ideas, text them in at six five one four six one nine two two six. There's going to be like a purple haze. Oh, sure. There purple. probably already is. Right? Probably. So there will be some Prince reference, so save it. We're not impressed. Or was that a Vikings reference? Could be, yeah. Either or. Mm. The skull strain. The skull strain, yeah. Sure. Yeah, I don't know. Like, there's got to be a Jesse the Body Ventura strain, oh, right? Oh, yeah. Like, Jesse was, the former governor was part of the deal. He helped make this happen. I, I absolutely. Mm-hmm. So he should be honored. He should. The Jesse or the body. <laughs>
the Jesse or the body, either way, I think would be pretty good. Mm -hmm. So text in if you have ideas for Minnesota-related pot, weed, strains. I don't know. Is it that obvious that, like, I have no idea what I'm talking about when I talk about this topic? I feel like... It's top level. It's okay. It is. (laughs) You do... Like, I feel like most of the things I talk about on this show, I know about a little, at least. And this, I feel like I don't know anything about. It's new territory. None of us do. When they open up, like... I'm going to have to, like, go experience it. Yeah, right? you should. Just so I can know what I'm talking about. Yes. You know what's weird to me is, like, now we're all getting a little more comfortable talking about all of this and accepting and realizing that it's part of our lifestyle here now. It is legal. It's it just, is legal. You're you know, right. It is. Yeah. It's just like alcohol. It's just like whatever. But it still feels weird. It still feels like it's naughty or you're not supposed to do it or you're breaking the law. Am I in trouble? Or am I going to sound like a big pothead if I I know know. something about these different strains? You know what I mean? Like, it's just a weird thing to talk about. Bud Grant says that's obvious. (laughs) It's so good. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent work. Minnetoka. Mm -hmm. Not bad. Uh Maybe name one like Blue Ox or the Bunyan. Like, you got to be careful with Bunyan. I <laughs> yeah. mean, it sort of connotes something else. Uh, the Derusha Munchies. Uh-huh. Uh, Tommy Kramer Kush. Oh, yes. <laughs> That's very good. Those are funny. The Woodchipper Strain. Uh. Little Nod to Fargo. <laughs> Rollsville. Princes would be Purple Strain. That's For, good. Like that. That's very good. I knew the people would come through. Yes, they always do. I think, I mean, there should be, like, have some fun with it. Yeah, right? I'm sure there will, will be. Will the regulators come in and be like, well, we can't do this. I don't I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, in Japan, you know, we have the Cat Cafe here. That's right, yes. In Japan, there is the newest trend. Cat Cafe is old news. Tokyo has... A cafe called the Me Pig Cafe. <laughs> you bring your pig? Your pet pet pig? Uh, they ha- provide the pigs. Oh. They're very clean. They don't smell. They like to be alone, which makes, you know, a good companion. Uh, they're surprisingly quiet, according uh, to the Associated Press. Why Although do they we, do snort now and then. Why do we have to drink our coffee with animals? You know, really. Think about that. It's weird. We, as a society, have failed in forging relationships with actual humans. <laughs> I think you're right. And so we have to bring our <laughs> stupid little pet everywhere. <laughs> I think you're right. And if we don't have a pet, we will pay $15 to spend 30 minutes with a pig. Oh, God. I do think, like, at the social psychologists of our world have to be having a field day oh with, like, God. how weird we are as I a know. society. Yes. It's very strange. It is strange. Would you go to the pig cafe? I probably would. Yeah, I would, too. <laughs> <laughs> Just to see it. I mean, I love pigs anyway. I would sit down with a pig, but they're not, they're not going to want to, like, sit in a booth with you while you drink coffee. They must have to keep them in pens. I would think so. I would think so. I don't know. It's all it's all so so weird. It is weird to me. Do you are you a burger person or a patty melt person? I like both. But I, I if I had to choose, I'd probably say a burger. 
I think most people would. Mm-hmm. There, there oh. is. Yeah. Oh, there's the doesn't sound good. Mm -hmm. I do think the burger trend is crazy. The Star Tribune for a while had like burger of the week. Yep. Whenever I write a list of burgers, it does the the only thing that does more web traffic is a list of pizzas. Wow. People are obsessed with burgers. Mm -hmm. You know what? I would take a freaking patty melt. They're so good. Pete Wells in the New York Times. Uh. The headline says the patty melt people are tired about hearing about your favorite burger. (laughs) (laughs) The burger. It's so funny. We patty melt people will always be outnumbered by the hamburger people. And we know it. The burger is pillowy, rounded and voluptuous. The patty melt is starchy, angled and flat. The burger is popular the way vanilla ice cream is popular. Mm. The patty melt popular with a small minority is black raspberry. It is the pumpernickel bagel, the Boston cream donut. I love it. But if you think about it, there are all different styles of burger. There are lots of, you can add different flourishes, throw things on, have it simple, have it smashed, have a thick steak burger and juicy. So chefs sort of go crazy with it. Mm -hmm. The patty melt should not be messed with. No, it just needs to be smashed down and the bread needs to be perfect. Usually rye, although I found out in this story that the original patty melt was sourdough bread. Really? Okay. So you can give yourself permission to have it on white bread or sourdough. But usually it's a good melty cheese, some browned onion. Yep. But there's something about a patty melt that like it's sort of, you you said it exactly right. It all gets like smashed together. it. It sort of becomes like one. Yeah. That's the magic. Like it's not... With a burger, you taste like the cheese separately from like the mushrooms and from the tomato and so the many bake. levels. Yes. With a patty melt, it's like one bite. One bite of mush that's oh. so good. Yes. Now I want a patty melt for dinner tonight. Me too. Thanks, Laura. It's five twenty-two. That's the first of our D Rush Hour news headlines. You got a little sample of it. We'll come back and talk about a restaurant group that's only been in the city. Now coming to the suburbs, you never know what you'll find at a Goodwill, uh, but I don't think you want to find this. And one of the biggest Dairy Queen franchisers in the country has left us, left Minnesota. How dare you? Where did he go? We'll talk about it next on CCO. We continue with the D-Rush Hour News headlines here on this last day of January. A city restaurant group makes their first dive into the suburbs. I'll have more on this in my weekly email newsletter, which serves up all sorts of links to segments here on CCO. You can sign up at jasontorussia.com. But the people behind Parlor and P.S. Steak are coming to Edina starting this spring. Starling is the name of the restaurant. It'll be in the ground floor of an apartment building right by Edina City Hall, the old Perkins, if you remember that. Kind of global flavors, but approachable comfort food. Beautiful design by Shea. Uh, owner Brent Frederick, remember he was on to Russia Eats late last year talking about how he was really dedicated to the city, especially Minneapolis. His restaurant, Burrow, Butcher and the Boar, both in the North Loop. But he said COVID, changing work habits, He's just trying to adjust to the marketplace, and it had him looking closer to his own home in Edina. One of the biggest changes we've seen over the last couple of years, all of the spots opening closer uh, to where people live and where people are working remotely. You never know what you're going to find at a Goodwill store, but in Ashland, Wisconsin, 
They found a hand grenade. Oh, man. You're just showing up at the Goodwill. You're over at the True North Goodwill, kind of going through the donation box that gets sent to you from Goodwill headquarters in Duluth. This is Ashland. It's called True North Goodwill. Which, by the way, like I thought we were the True North. What the heck? Ashland, Wisconsin? No, we're the Bold North. Ugh. The assistant manager, Homer Williams, says, we don't know exactly where the hand grenade came from because donations are put in bins. This quote is amazing. When you put your hand in, you never know what you're going to grab. I mean, yeah, yeah, Homer, truer words have never been spoken. Donated items come from the Goodwill branch. Just life lessons. I am going to sit down with both my kids tonight. And say, Seth and Sam, when you put your hand in, you never, yeah, you never, never know. Never know. Uh, so they found this thing around 1.15 in the afternoon on Saturday, I think. And this is amazing. So one of the staff members finds it. And according to the article, it was immediately given to Homer Williams. Right. Yes. Homer's like, put the grenade down. You don't need to bring this to your supervisor. Like, you could just go ahead and leave it on the table. Uh, Based on a Google search, (laughs) staff believe it was a Japanese-type 99 hand grenade from World War II. (laughs) Uh, The store was closed and the building was evacuated. Ashland Police Department shows up. It took about three hours for the Marathon County Sheriff Bomb Squad to arrive from Wausau. It was fine. It was somebody's World War II stash. One of the biggest dairy. Queen, what happens if you put your hand in the, you just, you never, okay. One of the biggest Dairy Queen franchise owners has abandoned us, leaving Minnesota for new corporate headquarters in Nashville. 14 Foods, it's the nation's largest Dairy Queen franchisee. They got about 250 restaurants, 9,000 employees, 13 states. They were in Bloomington, right by the International Dairy Queen headquarters in Bloomington. With more than 250 restaurants, uh, they're one of our biggest, well, were one of Minnesota's biggest franchisees. Uh, Tennessee gave them $333,000, a jobs grant. $330,000 in a grant for 55 headquarters jobs. That's it. So they're out, dead to us. 14, they still, like, obviously have a lot of employees here in Minnesota, but just basically about 30 employees leaving the state. 532 in just a minute. Megan Newquist from KSTP, 5 Eyewitness News, is going to join us. Megan went to Maui on a trip that sounds more luxurious than it was, examining what Maui looks like after. Well, you know what happened in Maui. We'll talk to Megan in just a minute here on CCL. I'm Brett Boone from the Brett Boone Podcast. Every week we look at the state of Major League Baseball, which teams are exceeding expectations, which ones are struggling to meet them. Follow and listen to the Brett Boone Podcast on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. One of the beautiful places on the planet, devastated by fire. So many of us make Hawaii and Maui a part of travel plans, especially during a Minnesota winter. Five Eyewitness News morning anchor Megan Newquist went to Maui 
to check in after the Lahaina fire, that fire just absolutely devastating. Here's a clip of her uh, multi-part report on Maui rising. Hawaii, a land of wonder. Known for its white sand beaches, world-class surfing, and breathtaking sights. You know, Maui has a way of touching people. Hawaii is a place of immense beauty and 75-degree temps year-round. Megan joins us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline because, Megan, that kind of beautiful Maui image is what we all have in our minds. And I know Maui has been a, a spot that you've visited over the years, too. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, Jason. It's nice to chat about Maui. Um, my goodness, I I couldn't believe what I was seeing when I was there mm. um, in December. It, You know, I grew up in California, so I've covered so many wildfires. It's where my first TV job was. I've seen the devastation of wildfires. I've seen the rebuilding process. Like, I kind of understand how it works. And I don't, I didn't, I I didn't expect what I saw when we landed in Maui. It literally looked like nothing had changed since the fire. Every single building in Lahaina is charred, but still standing if it hasn't crumbled to the ground. And like weeds are growing up. So there's greenery growing up. It's like it's frozen in time and preserved. It was so bizarre. Did you expect, you know, obviously with this, the fire happened last summer and you went down in late December, right? Yeah. So the the fire happened August 8th. We went four months later. And I think it's pretty soon. It's pretty soon after, right? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think I expected some of the buildings to be gone. I expected Mm. some of it, the debris to be cleared, but the roads were still being uh, cordoned off. You had National Guard troops. You had fencing up everywhere. We couldn't get into residential streets. The National Guard would not let us in. Um, People were still living on beaches when we were there. There are people that are, you know, upset at how slow this process is moving, how slowly the answers. Hawaii has never dealt with something like this, and they simply don't know how to do it. Where do you put the debris? Where do you house 14,000 people that within hours went from living in Lahaina to having literally nothing, not even an idea? People were running out of their house without shoes on. They had nothing. And it's the the housing crisis in Maui has been something people have talked about for years. But you still, to this day, have between five and 6,000 people living in hotel rooms. Wow. And some of these people, Jason, have moved 14, 15, 16 times since the fires. Wow. Because they can't just stay in one place. The hotels are moving them around. The FEMA money is going to different places. It is, it was shocking to me how dire of a situation this is, how much hurt, how much sadness, how much frustration, how much anger there is among the people there still. And you, months, five months you talk with many, and we're talking with Megan Newquist from Five Eyewitness News, anchors their morning show, and went with photojournalist Bill Mitteke to uh, Maui County, Maui, Florida, uh, where, where, and that's that's what really struck me in your stories is just the scenes. It it looks 
it looks like this happened yesterday in yeah. many, many parts. And you think, you know, Hawaii is part of America. And obviously, you know, there are some ge- geographical challenges as far as rebuilding and getting enough people and all of those sorts of things. But I don't know. I couldn't help when I watch your stories but think, like, if this were near San Diego, would would we let this fester for so long? Right. And I think that's the frustration people are feeling. I talked with a fire captain whose crew was one of the first on scene that day, and he said that they feel forgotten. He said, you know, we feel forgotten by the mainland. We really do, because the stories have stopped coming. Nobody's reporting on Maui in the mainland anymore. And he goes, and we still have people that don't have a house. We have people living in tents on the beach. We have kids traumatized because they lost grandparents. They lost their school because they ran for the safety of the ocean that day because they had nowhere else to go to escape the flames. I mean, there are so many levels of trauma that these people are dealing with, and many of them said that they feel forgotten. And it's only been four months. And they're talking the rebuilding, Jason, could take 10 to 20 years hmm. to get Lahaina back. Wow. Wow, you think about that. I mean, I guess you think about the number of natural disasters that have hit various corners of the United States. We're going to Fort Myers uh, in a couple of weeks for twin spring training. And last year when we were down there, Fort Myers Beach uh, looked terrible, terrible Uh, in parts of Naples, where so many Minnesotans uh, go live, looked uh, terrible as well from storm surge uh, from what happened down there. And you think about all of the natural disasters all over the country and all of the places that have been close to wiped out. And how do we keep up? How do we keep up? I don't know. It it seems outrageous. And then solutions also feel distant, you know. Well, and you know the news cycle. You go from one disaster to the next disaster. disaster. And so Maui was in the news for a couple of days when this happened, and then you move on to the next thing that's happening. And so, you know, I just wanted to go there and let people know the island is still open. If you've never been to Maui, Lahaina is a part of Maui, but you still have so many other areas that are untouched and open. Brandy Powell, our morning anchor, uh, just got back from Maui, and they stayed in Wailea. And she said they didn't even go up to Lahaina. The, the locals were like, listen, just don't go. Don't be a gawker. Just stay away. Enjoy your trip. Because south of Lahaina, it looks like the image of Maui you would expect. Huh. North of Lahaina, same thing. The golf courses are great. The walks on the beach, the surfing, everything's gorgeous. It's just kind of that area of Lahaina, which was the old Lahaina. It's kind of how the whole island started. The Hawaii. Village. Yeah, you, you, you got access because the uh, Hawaii Tourism Authority uh, helped you guys get into some of those areas. But most of Lahaina, a lot of that fire affected area is closed. In other parts of kind of West Maui, Maui same sort of, you know, uh, same sort of questions. But did they want you like did they did they, what did they want? I mean, I assume if I were the tourism authority, I'd be a little worried, like, oh, am I going to tell Minnesota, like, look how hellish this looks? What What was sort of their goal? What were they looking for, I guess? Well, it's interesting because I reached out to them after talking with several people on Maui immediately after the fire, and then I kind of stayed in touch with them over the months. And they kept saying, don't come. They don't want the media here. Nobody wants to see their burned out home on television. They're still very angry. Media is not being perceived very well. Stay away. I heard it from multiple people that I was communicating with. 
So when I reached out to the Maui Tourism Board and said, hey, you know, we're interested in doing this. How do you feel about it? And can you help us make this trip possible? There was hesitation for sure. And they said, you know, what kind of stories do you want to do? And, you know, we did it for Minnesota Live, which is our morning talk show that airs from 9 to 10. It's it's not as newsy as the news is in the morning. And, And I said, you know, we have the opportunity to talk about the island as a whole and what's being offered. But the news, Megan, is going to have to report on what happened, right? I can't ignore the fact that 14,000 people are no longer living in their homes. You can't ignore the fact that 100 people died. You can't ignore the fact that people have moved off the island because they don't think that Maui will recover in their lifetime. Mm. So, uh, you know, they were like, they helped us with getting in contact with the owner of a boat company. And I said, you know, I want to talk with someone in the tourism department about how this fire is impacting them. So they hooked me up with a a gentleman named Riley, who's a third generation owner of a a boat excursion company. He takes people out snorkeling and whale watching. They helped me um, get a hotel to stay in. They helped with a couple of things. And from what I've heard, because we've sent them all the stories, they're really happy with it. The reception's been very good. Oh, good. They, they realize that it's a problem. They yeah. realize that this devastation happened here, but they need tourists to return because three out of four dollars that is spent on that island comes from tourists. They don't survive without tourists, Jason. Maui does not survive without tourism. So they need people to come back. A hundred and ten percent. The locals there, they're I talked with a guy who owns a restaurant and his restaurant survived on Front Street and he thinks it survived because there's a big Safeway right across the street from him and he thinks that Safeway sent the flames up and over his little oceanfront restaurant but wow. he's wow. out of his restaurant for five months because the water samples are coming back not clean so the restaurant's not burned it's totally intact he can't open because the water's not clean wow. and the same thing with his house his yeah. house survived he can't move back in and so it's It's tough. We talked with a woman who owns an event space and she's since moved to Utah. She's like, I can't wait 10 years for them to rebuild. So she's moved off the island. It's, it's devastating. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. No doubt about it. Uh, I really appreciate your reporting and bringing this story to us. And it is a reminder that, you know, don't forget about Maui. It is us. It is America. And when it's time, go back. Go to Hawaii, go to Maui, and help help it. Uh, yeah, find a, find a family on their Venmo page and support a local family. You can meet mm-hmm. the local families there, and that's a kind of a cool way to connect yeah. to. You don't have to send all the money to big organizations, but you can find a family that means something to you that you connect with and, and help that way too, which I think is cool. Megan Newquist, Five Eyewitness News, morning anchor, and great stories. Uh, heartbreaking, but important out of Maui. Thanks for spending some time with us, Megan. We appreciate it. The opportunity, Jason. Bye. All right. I love her. She's great. She's terrific on the morning show, and these stories are really powerful. 550 back in a minute. Tomorrow we are on location at Second Harvest Heartland, 12 hours here on CCO Radio, raising money to fight hunger. Can't wait to get you involved. Get ready. Open that checkbook. Get ready to make that donation tomorrow. We're going to match it. We're going to double it. We're going to triple it. Thanks to awesome sponsors. Can't wait to tell the stories of the amazing people at Second Harvest Heartland, what they're doing to make a difference on hunger. I'm on the board, so it's special to me. So if you could donate between three and six, I don't want to be greedy. See you tomorrow. 
We all know baseball is a long season. I'm Brett Boone from the Brett Boone Podcast. This summer, take a trip down memory lane with me and hear from the legends of the game. So far this year, I've had conversations with Randy Johnson, Pete Rose, Deion Sanders. Plus, every week we look at the state of Major League Baseball, which teams are exceeding expectations, which ones are struggling to meet them. Follow and listen to the Brett Boone Podcast on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. 